Welcome everybody to the Mongols preview show. I am Justin Ashcraft. Steve Mattias is here with me. Steve, what is up today? Not too much. Uh, kind of strange, I think. Uh, recording middle of the day on a Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, look out my window. There's a little bit of sunshine. Uh, it's usually pretty dark by the time we record. So, hey, you know, new podcasting environment. Let's go. The things, the things we do for you, Riverhounds fans. The things we do. Um, yeah, it's a good day, uh, Wednesday, and looking forward to Friday's game. Uh, first of all, just want to, you know, tell you about our sponsors, Roughneck Scars, Social Scars Fight, MLS, USL, US Soccer. They do a great job. Uh, they did a great job with our masks, and um, yeah, they do a great job. And Icarus FC uh, did our jerseys, and they also do a great job. So, love both of them. We're part of the Beautiful Game Network. Steve, we have a game on Friday night, Friday Night Lights Soccer, uh, against Hartford, in Hartford. Uh, first time we've seen them this season, finally, I guess, in some ways. Uh, seven games left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to be going to Hartford on a Friday and seeing them kind of nine games into the season, I guess, and seeing them for the first time. Yeah. First of three games that we will play them, uh, which we talked about uh, last week, the importance of that, uh, needing to get uh, some wins out of those um, and not any losses. Um, but I got to say, you know, like, what do we want to talk about with Hartford? Um, I guess there's some similarities. They've got a lot of guys that have scored goals this year. Um but most of those guys have only scored one. Looks pretty similar to what the Riverhounds look like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, from the offensive side of things, we've got a few more guys that have scored more than one goal. But but still, it's like uh, when you're looking at these two teams, goals can potentially come from a number of different sources. Um, I don't really know what to think about Hartford. Um I, I was looking at, not that I put a lot of stock into the USL power rankings, but I was looking at the power rankings this past week. Uh, Hartford is sitting at 10th, we're sitting at 11th, and the rest of our group is sitting uh, within the bottom five. So, like, sure, Hartford has just as many points as us. Uh, they've uh, got two less games played. They haven't lost those games. Um, but what do you say when you're in the group with the two teams that are not very good? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a struggle for me looking at Hartford and kind of seeing what they've done this season and trying to, like, level them up, right, and, and try to figure out via triangle theories and all of that who is going to win this game or who's the better team or, or whatever else. Hartford... Uh, probably by means of just being geographically where they are in the country, uh, gets the great benefit of playing both Bethlehem and the Red Bulls four times this season. And Loudoun. Um, and Loudoun four yeah. times this season. And their only, their single out-of-group game uh, was against Indy 11 back on July 29th, which they lost 4-1. to one. So, I mean... I don't know what that indicates. Triangle theories are weird. You can't really always say, well, this team beat this team 4-1, to one, so we should be able to play against... I, I, who knows? I have no idea what you know what happened. Their last time out, they played Loudon. They were down 2 nothing. They came back late in the game, scored two goals, tied 2-2. I don't... 
you know, and they've had two games. They've only played two games since three games since the beginning of August. They have had two games against Bethlehem or Bethlehem Philadelphia Union Two, whatever their name is. Uh, they've had two games against them that were postponed because of the Union Two struggle with COVID. I I just don't know what to think of this team, right? I just don't know how to. I don't know how to sit here and be like, oh, this team is better than us, or this team is equally as good as us. I think they've had the benefit of an easy schedule, mm-hmm. and this might be a good test to see where they stand. So, yeah, I mean, don't know what to say about them. I guess there are a few things I can find that help me uh, understand how good or not how good they are. Um, uh, so they've played, was it seven games now? Um They've been scored on in six of those seven games. So I, I think that's encouraging for me uh, coming in mm-hmm. uh, to this game Friday night. Uh, we know we can score. Um, there have only been a few times this season where we have not scored, and those have been the games against Indy. Uh, we've scored against everybody in the group, and we've scored against uh, the other two teams outside of the group. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their defense doesn't look to be very strong. Um but yeah, again, you never know, right? Like, like it's so hard to judge, um, especially when we're both beating up on the two teams overall. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things there for me, right, too. I think their keeper has started all seven of their games, so they've gone with one keeper all season long. Scored seven of their, or started seven of their games. He has 12 saves, and they've given up 11 goals. So balls are going in fairly frequently. Yeah. Um, they're also, just looking at their goal statistics, and I don't know what this tells you, I don't know how to apply this actually to the game, uh, they're a pretty simple team. They've had 16 goals this season, 14 of them have come inside of the box, and 10 of them have come off the right foot. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, They're not a complicated team, I don't think. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, the Riverhounds have to be careful that they don't, overestimate or underestimate the team and go in thinking, oh, this will be an easy game and a, and a quick, you know, a quick trip to Hartford and a win and back home. You know, it, it's not that. But I do think they have some advantages in this game as to what they're doing. You know, and I, I think that they can, if they play to their top-level ability, I'm not sure that Hartford is a team that should give us too much trouble. I agree completely with that, and it is a little reminiscent to me uh, end of the season last year with Birmingham, right? Like, uh, it took until the end of the game for us to score a goal against Birmingham because they played really well. And then a week later, they turn around, come to us, and we blow them out, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, are you telling me that Birmingham got significantly worse over the course of a week and that just the venue change made that big of a difference? I don't think it's an eight-goal swing difference. Um, I think it's that, you know what? Like, in any individual game, a team can perform better than they could at a different time. Um, And when you've got two teams playing, you know, uh, the Hounds weren't finding ways to score in that first game against Birmingham, and then everything clicked a week later. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, same thing could happen here, right? We could go in, we could struggle to find ways to be creative and and open up the defense, and then in the next game it could be completely different. I just don't know how to to know what we're going to see from the Hounds, Um, but I expect to see at least a lot of... uh, a lot of opportunities for the Hounds to put themselves in positions to attack 
if we can spread the ball around. If we try to go direct, I think we'll see the same thing that we've seen against a few other teams where we're not being creative. So get that ball out wide, make some of those in-behind runs, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, for me, the place where, and th- and, and this is my struggle almost every week watching the Hounds, is the place where we are really good and have advantages almost over almost any other team in the league is specifically Ryan James and Jordan Dover. Like, they can they can get up and down the wings. They're good defenders. They're good crossers of the ball. Like, and when you put guys like Mensa and Steven Dos Santos in the box, you have two big targets to aim after. So why not try that? You know, why not try that? If you're trying to just go over the top all the time and, and try to hit these teams with one pass or something like that, I'm not sure that that's our best thing. And then secondly, I think one of the struggles that the Hounds have had almost all season is Mensa and Dos Santos trying to work together. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to figure that out if we just keep bombing the ball over the top and trying to hit one of them in stride. You know, it, yeah. They have to figure out how to be able to pass the ball amongst themselves and all of that kind of stuff. And so I think it's important that we play play in a way that allows them to figure out their partnership. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I don't know what to say about this game beyond that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing for me, and just kind of looking at our schedule, this is another three games in nine days. So, you know, eight days. We need to... I feel like we just need to get the week started off Mm -hmm. on the right foot. You know, I think Loudon coming to town midweek... I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, it's it's hard with these teams that are sitting at the bottom of the power rankings, bottom of the standings, everything else. Right. Uh, Loudon coming to town midweek shouldn't be a tough game. That should be an opportunity to get some of the guys who haven't played. Um, you know, I I Coach Lilly said yesterday that there's a potential that we see uh, Albert Dickwa mm-hmm. in that mid midweek game. Uh, you know, I'd love to see that. I, you know, obviously it's been good that. Um, you know, between Ray Lee, uh, Lindstrom, Skylar Thomas, you know, some guys have been able to get some rest and, and different things. So that's good. Um, and I, Ray Lee has helped out with getting Ryan James, Jordan Dover, some rest over the past couple of weeks as well. So, I mean, I think we're, we're in a good place this week and trying to, trying to power through this week. I think it's going to be important to see what we do on Friday. And then coming back, uh, and then going to Red Bull Arena um, next Saturday mm-hmm. also is a big, is a big game. So I think we've got to get this week started out on the right foot. Is my my biggest thing looking at it. I agree. Um, and so you uh, kind of drop it there if people haven't heard that Albert Dequa is with the team now. Um, so that he was that has become official. Um, so I believe that now the only player that uh, is not currently with the team is Tony Walls. Uh, so Bunk Anderson is here. Uh, Albert Dequa is here. Um, and last I saw, there wasn't anybody on an injury report. So uh, that bodes well uh, looking at things. Although don't know what the effect of Rivera's injury was uh, from this weekend, if that'll keep him out or not. Um, I haven't seen yeah, anything. I looked, I just didn't see anything. Well, and Jaleel Asani was still on the injury Dang it, I forgot week, about so. him. You know, that's not so. good. For a guy that I was really excited to see play, to completely forget about him at this point. 
<laughs> I know it's it's not good, but hopefully, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was an exciting player in preseason. Um, who knows, you know, if his if his I think it was his knee that was bugging mm-hmm. him a little bit. I don't think it was super serious, but um, you know, I think it's something that they just need to if they can get it figured out, then great. You know, um, I think we're, you know, yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, it'll be an interesting yeah. run to the end of the season with these guys in, in camp now. Yeah. I've got one other thing. Cause you were talking about the schedule and, uh, the need for rotation. Uh, speaking of rotational players, uh, Danny Vitiello, uh, got goalkeeper of the week last week for his performance uh, in Loudoun uh, in the midweek game. Just really cool to see that we get a guy that plays one of the games out of the three that we had in the past week uh, and gets that. Uh, He had a great performance, I thought. Um, There was that one where he was one-on-one with the attacker and just, I mean, big, huge hand. And I think Mike mentioned this on Monday Night Show, but just big, huge hand. Great to see that. Yeah, it was like basketball block. Yeah, sort of. yeah, you it was a, it was a great save. I think I tweeted out something good. along the lines of like Danny Vitiello with the big paw. He liked it, you know. <laughs> Always good yeah, to see that yeah, they're was, paying attention to their Twitter. It was yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Uh, so one other thing from our end before we let you go and and looking like this might be a, a shorter show for you guys. Um, so good for us. Uh, but one more thing. So we were challenged on Monday night by Josh and Mike. Mike started it. Uh, Josh added on to it. So screw both of you guys because I did a <laughs> bunch of work last night. Even though I know you didn't think I would, uh, I still went and did the research to try to figure it out. So I, the announcer. I want to be on, clear on this for everybody listening. This is all Justin. I told him I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. And he's like, no, I'll do it. Don't worry. Listen, I had to watch it. I mean, I watched the Union play. I had to watch the Union other, play. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, listen, MLS is a struggle this year. I feel like these teams are just bad, um, um, and it's it's a struggle to watch. I started uh, watching but, the DC game, and it's the first time I've actually sat down, like, purposely to watch DC this season. They go down 1-0. It goes to a weather delay, and then I see on my DC Discord... It comes back from weather delay, and before I can flip back over to it, New England scored again. I was like, I'm not turning it on. Screw this team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know. um, I mean, the Union game was fun last night. It was not good soccer. It was up and down, and both teams had probably... I mean, that game could have easily been 6-5, and it ended up 1-0. So it was just one of those games, and so it wasn't pretty. Um, So before the game and then during the first 30 minutes of the game... I worked on the stats because uh, we were challenged to, during the game on Saturday against St. Louis, they were talking, the announcers were talking about how Bob Lilly and the Riverhounds, since he's been a part of the team in 2018, have, in league play anyway, including playoffs, um, has a 48% clean sheet rate. So they've played 80 games. Out of those 80 games, 38 of them have been clean sheets. Um, those aren't, those aren't all wins. Those could be some of those zero, zero ties from, from years past, but, um, those anyway, 38 clean sheets out of 80 games. So Mike and Josh were just kind of wondering where that ranks in the league. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised that that actually ranks us first in, in the league, uh, uh, by far actually. Um, so we have about a 48% clean sheet rate. The next team, uh, in the league is Phoenix rising. Uh, not surprising. Also not surprising. 
they have, out of 83 games over the past three years since the beginning of 2018, they have 34 clean sheets for a 41% uh, clean sheet rate. And then, it, and then it just keeps dropping from there. So the next couple teams, Orange County, Indy 11, Sacramento, St. Louis, Charleston, all the teams that you kind of, Louisville, um, all the teams that you kind of expect to see at the top of a clean sheet standing based on where they finish in the league are all right there. Um, they're all between 30 and 35%. Um, Nashville and Cincinnati were both up there as far as their USL play, but I didn't include them because they didn't play all three all three seasons so far. So as to where that ranks us, it ranks us first by, by a good seven percentage points. Um, did a little bit deeper dive into that. Wanted to see if the coach affects that at all. The top four teams, as far as shutouts, have had the same coach all three years. Uh, Lily at Pittsburgh, uh, Rick Chance at Phoenix Rising, Brendan, uh, Braden Cloutier at Orange County, and Martin Rennie at Indy. Um, same coach all three years, uh, and those are the top four teams as far as shutouts to go. Uh, Sacramento has changed coaches. They're there. St. Louis has changed, changed coaches this year, um, so they had the same coach for the last two before this year. And then Charleston, Mike Anheuser has been there forever. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I found it interesting to look it up. I wasn't surprised by what I saw once I looked it up. Uh, the only two that I was, like, sort of surprised at, Tacoma Defiance has been good this year. Um, but they have a 9% clean sheet rate. They have a total of seven clean sheets over the past three seasons. And then at the very bottom, Atlanta United 2 has had a total of three clean sheets over the past three seasons for a 3% clean sheet rate. So interesting stats there Yeah. for those of us who are a little bit geeky. So one of the ones, I mean, maybe a little drop off recently, but one of the ones that I find really interesting in there is third from the bottom is the Red Bulls too, uh, with only 13 clean sheets for 16%. However, they've been a team that's been fairly competitive in the East over the past few years. So uh, they're not getting the clean sheets, but they're still staying competitive up until this year. Um, interesting thing. I'm to not. Look su- at. I'm not surprised by that because we and uh, yeah, they're a team that I noticed based on where they were in these rankings. But reason I'm not surprised about that is the style of mm-hmm. soccer that they play. I mean, they play a very high press. They they run at you. They um, all that kind of stuff. And so I mean, there's a l- they win a lot of games like six five mm-hmm. and five four and four three. You know, they win a lot of these games that are high-scoring. They're not cagey affairs. They're up and down the field, all that kind of stuff. They're not going to get a whole lot of clean sheets. They've had some good keepers, I mean, and, and that's why they win as many games as they do. But they're just not going to – I mean, they're they're not going to get that many clean sheets. Yeah, yeah. So you did all that work, and then Laura Ellen did a little bit too, correct? Yeah, she did a little bit of work. Then I'm still <laughs> – I mean, I understand. I understand it now. We were we were going to basically. She looked at all the coaches um, that have coached the teams in this spreadsheet that I created, and I'll 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 tweet out an image with our with our with our podcast so you can see this. But um, the basically, she looked at all the coaches who have coached the teams on the playoffs. So basically, what I did was I cut this list to the teams that have played all of the last three seasons. So like Nashville's not on here. Cincinnati's not on here. Um, some of the teams that have just started in the last two years, like Birmingham mm-hmm. is not on here. El Paso is not on here. Um, things like that. So I cut all those teams who, yeah, Hartford is not on here. Um, 
So I cut all those teams out. I just wanted to see the, I guess it's 21 teams that have been in the league all three years and see kind of where they performed. She went and looked at the coaching experience of all these coaches to see how that, if that was a predictor of clean sheets. And basically it sort of is. I mean, there's a pretty strong, I, I, I don't think it's causation. There's a pretty strong correlation between coaching experience and clean sheets. Which I'm not surprised because in this league you you're gonna constantly be rotating players, so it's really on the coach to how well he sets up the system to how well the defense performs. Right? It's it's like can the coach get their game plan and style across, and then can they get the right players? And when you look at a coach like Bob Lilly, Rick Shantz, Martin Rennie, Mike Anhauser, those guys who have been kind of John Wolnick even at Red Bulls. Um, you look at the guys that have been coaching for a long time. They understand this league. Yeah. They understand how to perform in this league. When you look at some coaches that have been just brought in, especially who aren't around the U.S. soccer structure, and then they're brought in, they tend to then struggle with, you know, can they get their point across? Can they figure out with the travel and with the rotation and with the all this kind of stuff that U.S. soccer deals with that, not necessarily is dealt with in in Spain or in England or or whatever. Um, Can they figure it out? You know, um, that's the question. But these guys like Anhauser and Rennie and Lily, who have been around a long time, they kind of understand how to get it done Mm -hmm. in this league. So I'm not surprised by that either. Um, It was not surprising, you know. This is the kind of geeky stuff that we do, though, when we talk, <laughs> when we talk about things. Sometimes when we talk about things, we're like, oh, we really want to know what this actually means. Um, so we go into it, and we look at it, and we try to figure out what it means. So I, I did a little digging last night to try to figure out clean sheets. I was going to go in even further and try to figure out the amount of clean sheets per win, like all this kind of stuff, and but that was too hard to find because USL doesn't have a very good database of, of information, but found what I could, and... That's the stat I present to you. It's an interesting stat. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have a couple games here in the next couple. We might be able to, you know, if we can get a couple clean sheets this week, we might be able to get that to an even 50%, but we'll see. We'll see. I think our schedule leading into the end of the season might lend itself to getting our clean sheet percentage back to 50% if we, if we play well over the next seven games. Yeah, so let's see. So if we, if we had clean sheets... We gotta basically go five and five and two in clean sheets. Five clean, two not, and we'll or yeah, or four and three. No, I think six five. and one. I think six and one. Wait, let's see. No, because so we we're only two behind. We only need two to even it off at fifty percent. Right, so but, we need two more. But then it won't be evened off at fifty percent. We'll be at forty oh, yeah. for eighty-two. Okay. So yeah, so eighty eighty out of eighty-seven games. We would need to get to 44. Yeah, so we would need six, six clean sheets out of our necks to surpass that 50% mark. Anyway, Probably not going to happen this season, but you know what? Being close to 50% clean sheets over three years is, I, I don't care where you're playing, right? Like, that's insane. That, that, is, yeah. that, is, that is a testament to the defensive prowess of what. Bob Lilly has been able to bring to Pittsburgh while being at the top of the East in all of those seasons, right? It's not just that we're not losing games. We're also winning enough to climb the table. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think you know it's it's interesting. I think Phoenix, you know, Phoenix Rising probably would be pretty closer closer to us, but they played a few more playoff games than we mm-hmm. have, um, which are going to be harder to get clean sheets mm-hmm. in anyway. Um, and then you look at Orange County, Orange County, you know, it, it, then you're starting to see like a 12, 11, 12 percent drop off once you get to third place with Orange County. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it is pretty spectacular what Bob has done and what this defense has done. And yeah, I mean, when you look at guys like Jordan Dover, Ryan James, Tommy V, who have been in this, you know, and then the previous two years when you have Hugh Roberts, Toby Adewale, and, and most of all, Joe Greenspan, when you have those guys and, and pretty consistently you have those guys then it's like they're able to to meld and then i i didn't look this far but i would be interested to know even just comparing pittsburgh phoenix and orange county and indy so the top basically the top four teams if you look at the number of keepers that they've used over that stretch of time pittsburgh has to be at the top of that list too. <laughs> i mean well what We've done eight I mean, eight keepers in the past three seasons. I think so we Mike had Kirk, 20. Dan Lynn, Kyle Morton. Okay, no, some Ken and Kyle Morton twice. Uh, then we had Austin Pack, uh, Ben Lungard, and Kyle Morton again last season. And now we've got Gomez, Gomez and, and Vitiello. So yeah, seven keepers seven. over three seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting to me, too. I mean, I, I don't know what Phoenix is doing. I don't know if they've had the same keeper all three seasons or if they've changed or if they rotate or, or what. Or Orange County, I don't know, because they're, the, <laughs> they're in the East. Indy, Indy, I think, has been pretty consistent with the number of keepers that they've used or the number. It's not as evenly spread out as what Pittsburgh's are. You know, I think they've had, you know, Evan Newton, I think, has started all nine of their games this season. <laughs> but... Um, and at least in the times yeah, we saw them a couple of years ago, they had fairly stable keepers each time we saw them. So Right. Yeah. So it would be interesting to know that, too. But I think, yeah, just seeing Pittsburgh kind of run away with that, having a seven-point percentage lead in that stat, um, and then like 12, 11, 12% over the third-place team, I think is pretty pretty impressive. Yep. Um, it, it, it would be nice. What would have been nice is... If some of those zero zero draws over the past, the last two years in 2018 and 2019 would have turned into one nothing wins or something, but there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. So, so it is what it is. I think we're pretty much at an end, but I've got one more question for you, Justin. Yeah. Uh, so we just uh, played St. Louis, um, and then right after that, St. Louis announced that they are going to be no more after this season. So, my question for you. Does St. Louis lock up a playoff spot, and do we potentially see them in the playoffs, or have we played St. Louis for the last time ever? Um, I mean, that's a tough... It's like a tough question to answer, right? Um, I think it really depends on who they play going in uh, towards the end of the season. It also depends, you know, how many... Like... That I mean, that group is just hard. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at Swope, you look at Indy, you look at Louisville, um, Sporting KC too. Sorry, referred to them by their wrong name too. Um, but when you look at those teams, I mean, Sporting KC has showed that they're not an easy out 
this season. You know, I mean, they're they're not great, but they're not an easy out. And so I think they could play, spoiler, to those teams. Um, I mean, just looking here, they have three games left against Louisville. So that's kind of going to determine their season. They can kind of decide who makes the playoffs from there. They only have one. They have two games against Indy, but they're probably not catching Indy anyway. So, I mean, they have three games against Louisville. So who knows, you know, what happens in those games. Um, I do think if they make the playoffs, we it, it will be, it probably will be them coming here to play us. Um, so if they make the playoffs, I think, you know, I think we have a pretty good shot at finishing first in our group. They're probably going to finish second in their group, and those are just opposite things. And so they'll come to play us. So I do think we could see them again, but um, it kind of depends what they do against Louisville for the rest of the season. All right. But I'll tell you what, I'm mad about it. I'm, I'm disappointed by it. Um, I think, you know, not even, you know, for Phil Grooms and our friends, our friends out in St. Louis, I think it, it frustrates me that this kind of crap continues to happen in U.S. soccer. You know, and I think, yeah, we can talk about it and we can say, oh, you know, they're getting an MLS team, that's great, blah, 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 blah. But I think immediately after hearing this news on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever that was, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't remember when that was, but whenever they actually announced that, like hearing that news, like I tweeted out, like I, I don't want MLS to come to Pittsburgh unless the Riverhounds are explicitly involved in the, in the jump, you know, and if, if the Riverhounds are going to jump up to MLS, fine, I guess, I don't necessarily want them to do that anyway, but if, if that's not the case, like I don't want MLS to come to Pittsburgh. Yeah. So I look at it um, and compare it to Charlotte. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with Charlotte Independence in a couple of years when uh, Charlotte FC, SC, whatever the heck <laughs> global name they attach to the end of Charlotte for their MLS team. Um, <clears throat> but Charlotte MLS team, uh, that's going to be a lot more in the model of what happened in Atlanta, uh, where the owner of the local football team, uh, David Tepper, uh, decided to put an MLS team in his city. Um, in St. Louis, what I can't wrap my head around is that the owner of uh, St. Louis is a minority owner in the new MLS group. That just, like, to me, that's just gross like that just makes me like, it's a bad taste in my mouth that you own a team and your exit strategy is not fight for the team that you have and try to keep it relevant it's uh let me throw my money somewhere else and just let this be a dying thing despite the fact that i've done this and now there are people invested in this culture uh, in this fandom uh, in this organization and i'm just going to leave them behind because i've got an investment somewhere else gross yeah i mean I mean, that's what, for me, like, it's it's an indication of the things that keep happening in U.S. soccer, and that, I just don't like it. I just, I don't love it. I think it's it's bad, and, you know, it continues to be bad. I think, you know, there's been there's been situations where it's it's worked. Um, you know, you look at, you look at Orlando, when Orlando moved up, they just, they worked with the ownership group in Louisville, um, you know, and they, they worked on how that was going to work as far as, you know, the team and, and who got what and the franchises. And, and they, they worked with the, to make it to make it work the best for both cities and, and mm -hmm. both towns. You look at Sacramento. Sacramento's doing it right. It's like the USL team and ownership are fully into the MLS team. 
they're just working on getting up to MLS and that's kind of been that whole thing like that that has that has worked the problem for me is like and it just comes all these other situations like the Charlotte yeah the Carolina Panthers owner just decides oh I want an MLS team so I'm gonna create an MLS team doesn't work with the Charlotte ownership group doesn't work with Charlotte you know really to try to figure out what that looks like and if they want to make that jump or or whatever and just says nope I'm gonna go get an MLS franchise I'm gonna put them here good luck Charlotte Independence to see if you still exist or not you know and and that was like a frustrating situation not to mention the ownership group of Charlotte Independence being crazy and stupid too but we won't get into that's that. a whole nother um, conversation that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> for sure um you know and so I think that that is that's a thing that is frustrating St. you know in, in St. Louis Austin is another city that I think you know a USL that. team was going in there the Columbus crew owner decides I want to move Columbus to Austin Columbus fights wins that whole battle so the crew is still in Columbus but they just get a franchise in Austin now what happens to this two-year-old three-year-old you know USL team when Austin whatever they are uh comes into the league or comes into MLS you know in, in a year or two so I just I mean, I think there's situations where it works, where like you can form a new MLS franchise, mm-hmm. whether that's your USL franchise moving up, or just um, creating one in a city where there isn't one, and then using your stake in USL to get another team in USL in another city in the in the country. But it just like I don't know this whole thing about MLS and how they're getting teams and how they're kind of screwing over USL markets. Uh, it's, uh, the whole thing is just gross to me. I still support the union, but it's a bad, it's like, it's kind of a love hate. It's a love hate relationship with the league that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. I've loved DC for a long time, but I just don't know that I, Especially now, with a few seasons under my belt of being present with the Hounds, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. MLS will ever compare to uh, to the love and passion I have for a local team where I can be present and uh, be invested in the ways that I'm invested. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is what you know. Some of our friends over you know in St. Louis who who talked about the situation, they. There's no like hatred that MLS is coming to town. It's it's not that because they're excited for MLS for for other reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's great benefit in having an MLS team in, you know, I think that's obviously a higher competition of soccer mm-hmm. plus, you know, the 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 quality of players that are coming to MLS at this point in time is great and, you know, the players that they're getting to see either on their way to Europe or on their way home from Europe, depending on what end of the age bracket they're at, um, is great, you know? And so I think that they're excited for that, but they're to me and just my experience going to a Philadelphia union game versus going to a Pittsburgh Riverhounds game. is just totally different. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, in Pittsburgh, you walk on the field after the game, you talk to the players, you say hi to them. they, sort of they might not know anything about you but they know who you are um they know you're part of the steel army they know you were there cheering all the you know all game long all that kind of stuff 
you have relationships with some of the people who work for the team and all this kind of stuff. And unless you're like high up in a supporters group for an MLS team, you don't have that same relationship with either the players or the front office. And I just think it's so special that we can, you know, go talk, you know, talk to Tuffy or talk to Bob after the games. And, and he kind of knows, you know, they kind of know who we are. Um, you know, even though we're just a podcast who talks about their team, they, they know who we are. So I think that's so special. And I think that's just so different than MLS. Um, so yeah, I, I love, I feel so bad for all the St. Louis fans. Um, you know, the St. Hooligans or whatever their uh, supporters group, I think is called, um, you know, just feel so bad for them because I know that it's going to be, they might love the MLS coming to town, but for totally different reasons than they love their USL team. So, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm disappointed that the USL team folded two years early. I think that that's that was a terrible decision by the ownership group to be like, well, we're getting an MLS team in two years. Who cares? We're just going to fold. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Play the next two seasons, then fold if you want. But mm-hmm. play the next two seasons. So I just, yeah, it's it's disappointing for sure. Yeah. Let's well, get that out added of like ten, That added like 10 minutes onto our podcast. Sorry, so guys. much for a short podcast. We were going to let you out early, but then we uh, kept talking. It's like the teacher that, like, we're going to end early today, and then doesn't end early. <laughs> my uh, my students were in class yesterday evening with uh, one of the faculty members, and, and I guess they all got upset, I heard, from a couple of different sources, because the class was supposed to be an hour long, and uh, 7 o'clock... Uh, which is a half hour after the class was supposed to end, he was still going. <laughs> uh, oh, college. When, when I'm in the classroom with him in the in the spring term, I always have to keep him aware. Uh, so, yeah, I, I know all about going over, and we just did it again. So we're going to let you all go. Uh, you want to <laughs> lead us out, Justin? Yeah, you know, a uh, couple of reminders, as always. Uh, wear your mask. Uh, please, please, please wear your mask. Keep, keep going. Uh, I know it's frustrating but we're getting there so mm-hmm. keep going wear your mask black lives still matter uh, obviously that will never change um so keep going in those efforts as well we appreciate all the people who have uh purchased stuff from the steel army keep doing it um love you guys um other than that we have our sponsors told you about them at the beginning uh, uh roughneck scarves icarus fc we're part of the blue Flag game network if you need us anywhere at Mongols, uh, come check us out. Let us know what you want to hear about, the stats that you find interesting, uh, or anything that you want to kind of bring to the show. Uh, we'd love to, to bring it. We're always looking for content. So um, let us know what you want what you want to hear about. Anyway, Steve, what are you going to do with the rest of your day since it's uh, early early day and not 9 o'clock when we're recording? Uh, got some schoolwork to get done. And then this evening, I've got a virtual game night with my buddies. Virtual game night. Nice. All right, well, Riverhounds fans, we will see you online, hopefully, on Friday night. Uh, Feel free to tweet at us. Mike does a great job of of live tweeting the games, so feel free to join the conversation on Friday night when the Riverhounds go to Hartford. Uh, We'll see you 7 o'clock Friday night. Let's go Hounds. Go Hounds.